Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators, brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Welcome back to Mostly Awesome. In this episode, we are talking to Dan Ram. First and foremost, Dan is a speaker and event host for some of the biggest innovation and tech events out there. You might know him from Bits and Pretzels, where he welcomed Barack Obama to the stage. Also, you might have seen one of his five TED Talks about various topics ranging between motivational tips to the power of diversity. With 100 plus events a year, Dan does live a busy lifestyle, and yet he manages to bring a personal touch to each of the events. Even if that means singing a song for the audience here and then. Coming from India, traveling the world as the son of an Indian diplomat, studying in Dublin, living a bit in Munich and recording this interview from Dubai, Dan also brings an international perspective on things. So we are excited to have him here today. As always, before we start into this very engaging conversation with Dan Ram, let's briefly have a look at what we're actually talking about. So we started by reflecting about Dan's winded career path and why he moved from politics to being an entrepreneur, consultant, voiceover artist, and now a host. In his words, nine or 10 wildly different careers. We also asked Dan how he got into personal development and learned about his parents who worked themselves out of poverty despite India's strict caste system. We also talked about failure and Dan openly tells us how he realized he's not such a good manager so some really reflected and great insights there. And in our second block, we talk about dense habits and routines he recommends. And of course, as always, lastly, his toolbox. As a personal coach, Dan has some, in my opinion, really helpful advice and frameworks, which I personally started applying. And I'm looking forward to a very engaging and interesting discussion with Dan Ram. Welcome, Dan. We are super excited to have you here today. Excellent. Nice to meet the two of you, Lisa and Tim. Then let's jump right into it. So actually, when we took a look at your career path, we noticed it is quite winded and has quite a few steps to it. So of course, by now you are first and foremost an event host, also a motivational coach and speaker. But actually, you didn't start out that way. Um, I mean, you were also an entrepreneur at times. But Everything started in politics, actually. So your father was a diplomat for India. And then your first job after college was actually assistant to an international aid advisor at the UN. And then actually right after, you decided to become an associate at World Vision, which is one of the largest humanitarian organizations of India. So since your career started in politics, why did you decide actually to not stick with it? All right. Good question and good research. Well done. So I think... Some people grow up knowing what they want to be. You know, they would know they want to be a firefighter or they want to be a truck driver or they want to be an entrepreneur or they want to be an engineer. And some people just don't know. I'm one of those people that just did not know. So my attitude has always been give my best whatever I'm doing. So it didn't matter what subject I was doing in class, in school, I always wanted to be the best, number one or number two. It didn't matter for science or English or art or PE. I was just competitive. And so I gave my best everything, which meant that I was pretty all-rounded, which actually did not help because then I could have been a full-time musician. I could have been a full-time mathematician. I could have been a full-time scientist. So I essentially just decided I'm going to learn by trial and error. I'm going to try a bunch of stuff and see what clicks. So my first job was with the UN. It was 
an obvious next step because as the son of a diplomat, I grew up with diplomats, UN officials, and international business people. I went to international schools, and these were the three main categories of people I met. So it was familiar. I started with what I knew. I worked for the UN, and although an incredible organization, and although an incredible project, I was in charge of tracking billions of aid that came into Indonesia after the traumatic, catastrophic tsunami that hit. I also realized it was slow moving. And that's something I didn't know about myself, is that I like things that are quick paced. So then I started working for World Vision in India. It was a lot more grassroots. And I learned there that I like having tangible impact. I like seeing the results of my work right away. But it was also quite bureaucratic. And I also found that people were burnt out. So although they were doing good things, they were exhausted at doing good things. So that's when I decided to go do an MBA. And when I did an MBA, I realized that what is quick moving, what causes impact, and where people continue to have the fire in their eyes was business. And I never knew until that point that business could drive change. I thought business was for profit. I didn't realize that business could be for impact. So that's when I went down the entrepreneurial journey. But even then, the short version of the story is I worked as a radio presenter. I worked as an advisor to the Prime Minister of Ireland. I worked as a consultant. I worked as a voiceover artist. I worked in a choir. I worked in so many different areas. I probably had about, I'd say, nine or ten distinct careers. I'm not saying close careers. I mean like wildly different careers. Marketing officer for a small NGO full-time radio show host from my own show, like all very, very different jobs, to then discover totally by accident my passion, which is hosting events, which is what people know me for now. But I did not study communications. I did not study hosting. I've never taken a single class or certification or degree in hosting events. But in the last three years, I've quickly risen to the status I'm in in the hosting world simply through trial and error. Yeah. So when you switched between these projects, was it always because you said, okay, this is not quite it. And then would you say now, okay, now you've arrived at hosting and you found your true passion? Yeah, good question. You know, for me, I think I'm just hungry to keep learning. I don't know if I'll ever arrive. I feel like I'm always curious. You know, like I have really good habits. One of the things I post online all the time is about my routines. One of the things I teach, so I teach the vice presidents, the presidents, CEOs, some of the biggest organizations on routines, the power of good habits, morning habits, evening habits. But even this morning at the pool, this is a book I was reading. I know this is a podcast. People can't see it, but it's the power of habits by Charles Duhigg. So why do we do what we do and how to change? So I'm always learning even something I teach and I'm considered good at. I am constantly learning. I think I treat my life the same way. I'm a good musician, but I keep training on the piano. I'm a good speaker, but I keep training to be a better speaker. And I think even with career choices, I'm always asking myself, what was great? How can I improve? After every event, I ask the clients, what did I do that was great? AKA, why would you hire me again? And also, how can I improve? So that the next time you hire me, I'm even better. I ask myself the same question, Dan, what did you do well? What can you do better? So I think right now I'm in the best place I could be, but at the age of 22, the UN was the best place I could be. Like how many 22 year olds can work as an assistant to the aid advisor for all of Indonesia? So I'd say that was the best place I could be at 22. 
But now with the knowledge and experience that I have, I think emceeing is where it's at. In five years, it could be a TV show host. In 10 years, it could be running an orphanage in Mongolia. In 25 years, it could be running a trust fund in South America. I just want to be the best place I can be for the moment. Mm. That sounds really awesome. But one thing all these have in common is that you're self-employed. So I'm wondering, could you also <laughs> imagine ever going back to working for someone else? And uh, why? Why not? I wasn't always self-employed. I worked for KPMG, so I had a salaried role. I worked for the UN. I had a salaried role. I worked for World Vision. I had a salaried role. I worked for Team Hope. I had a salaried role. So I would say, though, and this is a bit cheeky of me, in all of those roles, I kind of had special roles. So I wasn't necessarily your traditional employee. So yes, you're right that I like doing things my own way. And therefore, I think working for somebody is going to be close to impossible at this point <laughs> because I'm so used to, like before this podcast, I want to go read by the pool and go for a swim. I don't have to check in anywhere. I don't have to tell any boss. I don't have to ask permission. I just do things as I want. But I also have no issues. Like last night, I was up till one or two in the morning doing emails. I don't need a boss telling me, Dan, get this work done. So I like the responsibilities and the freedom of being a freelancer, working for myself. I would say I love it, but for some people, this can be a nightmare. And I'm happy to talk about the negatives because I think often we over glorify. We make working for ourselves like the ultimate goal. And it's not for everybody. For sure, it's not for everybody. It is for me, though. <laughs> so you mentioned before that you always wanted to be like number one or number two, but now you're working for yourself. So there's no direct comparison, right? Like within the company. So who do you compare yourself to now being self-employed all the time? Yeah. Okay. So you're right that there probably is no way to figure out number one or number two at this point because there is no ladder in what I'm doing. Also what I'm doing in Germany is relatively well established, but not necessarily globally. The moderator event host role, even if you think about it, in Germany it's known as moderator. In the US it's known as MC and it's spelled differently. In India it's called anchor. In UAE it's called host. So it's like totally different roles in different parts of the world. It's very hard to figure out who's the best and who's the worst or where you are in the growth curve on it. But it's possible to always keep learning. And I think that is what I do is I keep trying to be better than I was yesterday. So even though I may not have someone I can compare myself to, I certainly compare myself to who I was today and who I was yesterday and keep getting better at it. That said, I have lots of mentors and role models. So when it comes to hosting, There's essentially a few categories. I watch late night show TV hosts because they have to work with a live studio audience and interview people in an entertaining but also educational way. I watch magicians because they have the very difficult role of taking simple tricks and confusing the audience through the power of storytelling. And a lot of what I do is good storytelling. I watch comedians because they have to work with a hostile crowd that maybe do not want to laugh and somehow make them laugh, regardless of their culture, their background, their gender, their economic status, to make everyone laugh and be on the same page. So these are the people I watch, and I watch pastors, because spiritual leaders, especially pastors, have to go and speak every single Sunday to the same audience and somehow keep their attention. And the good ones can do that. The bad ones don't. 
but the good ones can keep and bring new content out of the same material Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for decades. And I think that's so powerful. So these are people I watch when it comes to my career. But honestly, guys, I would say that where I really want to grow is being a human, not necessarily in my career. So the people I watch and I really admire are not necessarily in my career, but just who I think are great people. When I look at Oprah Winfrey and what she has accomplished as a black woman of color that is maybe overweight and not like your normal, you know, stereotypical host of a TV show. And during the era that she did it, and then to be one of the few billionaires, and that's it, can I mention, a woman billionaire and a black woman billionaire, just incredible. And the humility and the love that she shows, not turning into some awful person that no one wants to work with, but someone who just exudes love and confidence and has come into her life to inspire others and to use her platform for others and recreating herself as a TV show host, as a network owner, as an actress, as a producer, as a director, as a magazine host. Like, she just keeps inventing over and over again. I admire not just her success, but who she is. Anyone who interacts with Oprah goes, oh, it was just like being with a different person. You know, when I look at Beyonce, I mean, she is a singer, but how she has used, again, her platform to inspire women all across the world, to change what being black means, to influence an entire generation, an entire culture, I think it's just incredible. And the way she's now using her platform to build a legacy and business for her children, also amazing. So when I look at these humans, I am simultaneously impressed by what they've accomplished in their career, being the best in what they do, but still being people that others want to associate with, that they want to learn from, that they love, that they honor. Not people that you go, oh, that person with that Ferrari making noise, oh, that person throwing a party every time. There's lots of people who are successful and rich that we hate. I don't want to be one of those. I want to be one of those that inspires others, that influences a generation. So I think those are the kind of people that I really admire more than those who are just successful in my career. Mm. So nice. And also really interesting to hear about your personal role models. I wouldn't have expected a pastor there, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. One question actually from the audience, who is also super excited about Dan Ram. Oh my God, you have him on a podcast. They were asking, <laughs> where did you take this drive and interest for personal development from? Was it always there? My parents, for sure. Yeah? So my, my dad is born into one of the lowest castes in India. One of the things that the British took advantage of is this concept of caste system. So in the Western world, we have a class system, right? You have your upper class, your middle class, and your lower class. But classes, you can change based on your earnings, right? You can be a higher class, upper class, lose money, become middle class or lower class, and you can move up. A caste system you're born into, and you cannot change your caste. Your caste determines everything. So they have multiple castes in India, and based on your family name and where you're born, it determines what job you have. So every caste has a limited number of jobs. You cannot apply for a job outside of your caste. It has a certain income level. You cannot earn above or below that. It determines who you can marry. You cannot marry someone from a different caste. It depends where you live. It determines what house you live in. It determines what car you have. It determines your social friends. It determines everything. Your caste system locks you in for life. You cannot switch castes. And it's something that's reinforced by Hinduism. 
So my last name, Ramamurthy, which is what Ram, Dan Ram is short for, is a Hindu name. So my dad was born into a Hindu caste, and unfortunately one of the lowest castes. But he determined at an early age that he was not going to allow a caste to determine his life. He saw his brothers all become subsistence farmers. At the age of nine or 10, they finished their school, fourth grade. That was the highest level of education that was allowed in that caste system. They started working manual labor at that age. They weren't even double digits, and they started working for the rest of their lives in that field. And my dad asked his teacher, how come you get to be the teacher and the others get to be students? How come we cannot be teachers? And then she said, well, you need to be a higher caste. And he goes, well, I can't do that. What else do I need? And she says, well, you need higher education to become a teacher. He says, where can I get this higher education? She says, you need to go to the next village. That's how you can get a higher education because this village only gives you this amount. So he asked for a letter of recommendation. He got his parents' blessings and he started walking for days. He just walked far away outside his village where no one outside the village had ever left because it's one of the lowest caste. You're not allowed to leave the village. But because he was a little boy, I guess no one stopped him. If he was older, they would have pushed him back into his village. They might have even attacked him. But because he was a little boy, it was like, okay, harmless. And they let him into this next village. He went to a school and self-enrolled. And again, he finished up to an eighth grade education. He asked the principal, how come you have teachers and you're a principal? What makes you a principal? And he goes, you need higher education. So he just kept going. It was all about self-development. He realized he needs to invest in himself. He needs to invest in his education. He needs to be a person that acted different from his caste, the way he talked, the accent that he had, the clothes that he wore, the way he ate. They all sat cross-legged on the floor eating with their hands. He realized that the higher you go up, you can't do that. You got to sit on a chair. You need to eat from a plate. You need to use a fork and a knife. These are things that he didn't know. So even the smallest of areas, he had to focus on self-development. And that is how he went from being one of the lowest castes to being the ambassador for India, representing an entire nation. That village that he's from is not on any map in India. They don't represent him, but he represents them. And my mom is similar. Her dad had a farm growing up, and he also moved up the ranks. He became a scientist for the UAE government, but she also worked her way up to being an engineer. So both of them have constantly invested themselves through humility and hard work. And I think from a young age, I have seen that. And they've also instilled that in me because my cousins still run around barefoot. My cousins speak a language that I cannot speak. My cousins could not point on a map where they're from. And here I am, I'm flying every three to four days to a different country. They have never left their village. Here I am shaking hands with presidents and prime ministers. They've never crossed a fourth grade education. The highest ranking person they've met is probably the principal of their school. So I know firsthand how unique my life is, and it's purely down to personal development. If my parents did not invest in themselves, they would not have gotten to where they are. If I don't continue to invest in myself, I will not take the benchmark that they have given me and rise above it. I'll only be at the level they have given me or sink below. And so I think that's why personal development is so important to me because I've seen firsthand how it can completely change, not just a life, but a generation. My parents, kids, and descendants will never, ever grow up in a village simply because of what they did. Mm -hmm. Wow, there are so many points I would like to ask more about. But let's start with one that was really interesting for us, since nowadays there's a lot of talk around this expert generalist kind of thing. And you have so many different chapters in your life, right? So how do you think about this? And why did you decide on this domain? I mean, you said you jump a lot and you always do what you enjoy. But how do you think about it? 
Yeah, you know what? I really struggle with this, to be honest, because I really want to be a specialist, but I don't know how. And I really feel like I'm a generalist in a lot of different areas, and it's very hard when people ask, what do you do, Dan? I don't know. What, what's your passion? I don't Because there's too many. So this is one I really, really struggle with, and I feel bad for, I think, Gen Z and millennials like myself because we are born into a world where we could be anything and we could probably be a lot of things in our lifetime you could be a communication specialist like really be a specialist for five years and then decide that you want to go work for a venture fund and then switch over and decide to build your own business and then probably fly a rocket like you could do all of those things and more you know I really want to be a specialist my whole life because I think the easiest way to go up the ladder is to be great at what you do. The reality is, as I mentioned to you, I just love stuff and I like learning. So I think if I had worked hard enough as a pianist because I was classically trained from a young age, I could have become a professional musician. I think if I worked hard enough as a mathematician because I always had like 100 or 99% all the way through in math, I could have been a professor in math. So I think being a specialist allows you to go up faster. but I think a generalist gives you a lot more of a fun life because I've been able to do so many different things. Maybe I'm not like the top at those things, but I have a very colorful career path. I would say though, that right now, in the world we live in, where things keep changing, where what you study in school is really not relevant by the time you get to college, and what you study in college is not relevant by the time you enter the workplace. In a quickly evolving world, the best thing you can be is not a specialist, is not a generalist, but rather, someone who's very adaptable, someone who's able to learn and release fast, someone who's able to learn and implement fast, someone who's able to learn and execute fast, someone who's able to learn and let go fast. I think that is the highest power these days. That said, I will say that there's a Japanese concept called Ikigai, which is where I want to be when I try to make the decision of what to do and when to do it. And it essentially comes down to four pillars, all right? So here are the four things. What you love, plus what you're good at, plus what you can get paid for, plus what the world needs. So I can love playing the piano, but if I'm not great at it, it's not gonna work. I can love climbing trees. I can be really great at climbing trees, but if no one's gonna pay me to climb a tree, there's no point being at it. So. It's what you love, plus what you're good at, plus what you can get paid for, plus what the world needs. And the last part of what the world needs is important. You gotta find something that people want a solution for. Another way to put these four things is your passion, plus your mission, plus your profession, plus your vocation. So if you can find those four things, right smack in the middle of that is your AP guy. And that is your place of ultimate purpose, your ultimate destiny. Everyone's got different words for these, but when you find these four things, so I'd say right now as an MC, I love being an MC. Oh, I love being an MC. I don't think I've been more alive than when I am an MC. I also think I'm really good at it. I don't think I'd keep getting hired doing over 100 events a year if I wasn't good at it. It's not me saying I'm good at it. It's not me putting on my LinkedIn. It's my clients going, we want you back, we want you back, we want you back. I am getting paid for it, which is great. Honestly, I didn't think you could because initially when I was MCing for the first 10 years of my life as a volunteer, you know, in church and in school and in youth clubs, I just did it for fun. 
right? You like host a game or give a talk. I mean, these are just things you do for fun, for free. I did that for over a decade for free. So I never thought I would get paid for it, let alone run a business out of it, let alone have staff for it. And it's also what the world needs because events are great, speakers are great, but events are long and speakers can get boring. So the glue for the events, the constant energy for an event is the MC. It's what events need is good MCs, especially in the virtual world now. You need MCs probably more than good speakers because attention spans are so short and people's interest is so short that unless you have a great MC to keep people's attention online, it's not going to happen. So that's my icky guy. Look up that framework, icky guy. I think it's a good one. Yeah, I love the idea. Super cool. So then you said that the Ikigai can change over time and so on and that really experiences are what kind of make us and for me experiences are always the things that go well but maybe also the things that don't go so well. But kind of what we realized within the podcast but also just when talking to friends and so on that it's not that easy to talk about things that didn't go so well because like admitting to them and like talking to them to the outside isn't really... Yeah, that easy. So I would be curious what your take on that is. It's more than that, Tim. I'll tell you this. People who cannot talk about the failure do not know who they are. I'd say it's only people that know how they failed and can communicate it effectively truly have overcome that failure. You're still struggling with it if you cannot communicate about it. So I know some things you have to have discernment and you cannot share for publicity reasons or even legal reasons. But I think we have to really redefine leadership. To me, leadership is not just people who look great and act great. I think leadership is raw, it's dirty, it's messy. And I think we need more leaders who can be transparent and authentic. There is no perfect CEO, there's no perfect politician, there's no perfect parent, there's no perfect child, there's no perfect student. And once we start embracing our brokenness, our failures, that's when we can really be our truest self. I think when I started identifying my weaknesses as much as my strengths is when I could really get good at what I was doing. But anyway, this is very philosophical, but no, I'm all for discussing failure and I think we need more of that. I'm personally tired of cookie cutter, good looking CEOs. I also don't think they exist. And as soon as they do that, their fall is going to be tremendous because one day we will know their failures. And if they try to put themselves as someone beyond failure, that's a much bigger fall. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have one example where you would say this is a failure that you learned so much from? Yeah, constantly. I think there's lots, lots of ones. I would say from an entrepreneur point of view, I honestly thought I would be a great entrepreneur. But I realized that entrepreneur is such a big bracket that you cannot be great at all of it. So I'm a good leader, but I'm actually a terrible manager. And I didn't realize that until I had to do both. So as a entrepreneur, you have to do everything. I was in my role as the head of a co-working space. I had to be the HR person, I had to be the legal person, I had to be the accounting person, I had to be the CEO, I had to be the uh, chief operating officer, I had to do all of it. And that's when I realized I'm really terrible at some stuff, even stuff that I thought I was good at. For example, I'm very detail-oriented. I'm a perfectionist. But I realized as a result of that, I'm very slow in making decisions. I love to know everything that's going on, 
but I realized I'm also a terrible micromanager. So I actually say that the greatest lesson on yourself is being an entrepreneur. So I can list out in my first entrepreneurial endeavor. I mean, I've always been entrepreneurial, but my first official one was setting up a co-working space with things I'm terrible at. I'm very bad at delegating. I'm very bad at holding people accountable to doing work. I'm very bad at follow-up. I'm very bad at tedious meetings. I'm very bad at training people. I'm incredibly impatient. I realize that if I don't think we're all on the same page, I will get irritable rather than motivational. So I expect that everybody buys into the mission. I don't expect me to sell the mission repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. I realize I have no room for incompetent people. I'm actually a very kind person, a very compassionate person, but not if they're on my team. <laughs> it's very weird. So I have a lot of time if a 14-year-old kid calls me and goes, Dan, can you help me with this? I'll give him an hour of my time. But if my assistant calls and says, Dan, I'm struggling to put a thumbnail up, I am super impatient. I'm like, go Google that. I'll give them five seconds to send that message. So I always thought, oh, the nice, kind, you know, person that exists everywhere is also in his own business. And it's not true. And I had to learn that the hard way by being in that role. I would also say that that co-working business eventually stopped and failed because I wasn't willing to take a risk. You know, we always say, oh, be a risk taker. And in many ways, I've taken risks in my life. After all, it's about the lion attack. So I know what it means to almost have your life taken away from you and what it means to be at the edge of risk. But eventually to grow that business, I was asked to take on a personal, so I went to the bank to raise money and they wanted me to personally vouch for it, AKA if the business failed, that I would be held liable for it. And even though we talk all the time, entrepreneurs be risk takers and entrepreneurs, you know, put everything on the line, I wasn't willing to put everything on the line. And that was weird for me because I had talked about it so much. I had been presented so much. I had told other people, you got to be a risk taker. you got to be willing to lose it all, to win it all. And here I was with that option, and I didn't do it. And I realized, okay, I do play it safe. I'm not as risk taker as I want. So I'd say my failings, my weaknesses, and being aware of it directed me to who I am today, but also allows me to be really good at what I'm good at because now I know to delegate. For example, I'm really good at numbers. Remember I told you I was really great at math, but I'm terrible at accountability and stuff. So now my accountants, instead of me trying to do it and failing at it, I just hire an accountant. And remember how I said that I am very impatient with my staff? Now I just hire a project manager and an HR person. So I think knowing what you're bad at and not making excuses is actually healthy for your business because then you can hire people who truly are great at it to do that. And I depend on them and I love them tremendously for being good at what I'm bad at. And together we make a very good team. That's awesome. And it's also a great jump into our next block. So we are going over to your projects and on your website, you say you're host, speaker and coach, right? So we didn't want to let the chance pass to actually ask you for some life tips. Although I think you already had so many valuable in here talking about your career. And our first question would be as a motivational coach, you surely must be motivated always, right? No, <laughs> you don't always wake up feeling 100%. You wake up certainly being humans and humans go up and down. They flow. 
So how do you motivate yourself then? Good habits. I would say I have, just like everyone, I know what makes me happy and what does not, what fills me up and what drains me. But the difference is I've built habits and routines out of them. So for example, I do this thing called my 4G Mondays. Last year it was 3G Mondays, now it's 4G Mondays because a lot of people pre-pandemic used to hate Mondays. Getting up early in the morning, getting into work, having that massive to-do list, that irritable boss, and everyone lived for the weekends. And I was like, you know what? That's a terrible way to start your week. I want to change Mondays. And so it's like, okay, what are the things that I love doing that give me energy on a Monday? So going to the gym, absolutely. Man, I would rather go to the gym than open my email and deal with 200 emails that came in over the weekend. So I was like, all right, gym, that's gonna be one of my Jews. Then I realized that writing my goals, so rather my a boss or a colleague or a client tell me, Dan, you gotta do this, 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 and making the whole week about solving other people's problems and doing their goals, I was like, you know what? I am gonna write my goals for this week. So one of my goals this week is to finish this book that I am reading. Another goal of mine this week is to write a song, and I'm gonna write my goals down first. So that was my second G. Then I realized I'm a very spiritual person, and so I was like, God has to be one of those because the more time I spend reading my Bible, praying, the more time I spend realizing why I was created and how I was created, the more I can be who I was meant to be. If I keep chasing what other people want me to be, then I'm only going to be a, cop a copy or imitation. So my third G was then spending time with God. And the fourth G that was inspired by the pandemic is I've got to learn to be grateful. If I keep comparing to the life I used to have, if I keep wishing for what I cannot control, I'll be unhappy. But if I can just learn to exercise gratitude, then I can change how I see the world I live in. So those are my four Gs, God, gym, goals, gratitude. And so every Monday morning, I spend about 90 minutes doing those four Gs. But honestly, I do them every day. Not always for 90 minutes, sometimes I do it for 20 minutes, sometimes I just do it for 10 minutes, sometimes I multitask. So I'll be brushing my teeth, and listening to the Bible at the same time, or I'll be working out and coming up with my plan for the week, so I might shrink it all into like little segments. But I have a morning routine every single morning, and that is how I fuel up, because these four things give me a positive attitude. So even if I wake up sleepy, even if I wake up in a different time zone, even if I wake up with the whole day looking chaotic, if I spend time doing these four things in the morning, I've got that energy. And then during the day, I refuel. So I've gotten pretty good at self-awareness, and I pay attention to, okay, if I do three back-to-back -back meetings, I am completely deflated. That's not a good place to be. So I'm gonna do two back-to-back -back meetings. They don't have to be 60 minutes long. I'm gonna make them 30 minutes long or 45 minutes max. And I don't need a break between it because the energy from the first gives me energy for the second. But after the second, I need at least 15 minutes to write down my action points from the first two meetings. Because if I do the third meeting, then my mind is still thinking about the action points from the first two meetings. So I just learned my rhythms. And I go, okay, I can do two meetings, then a 15 minute break. I also know that if I start my day at 6.30 or 7 a.m., I usually need a breakfast around nine o'clock. I usually need a tea break around 11.30. I usually need a lunch around one. I usually need a coffee break around 4.30. I usually need to go and uh, get away from the office and exercise around 5.30 and usually need dinner around 7.30, usually. So those are my rough breaks throughout the day, and in between I can put stuff. 
And that stuff is not all work-related. Sometimes it involves music. Sometimes it involves art. Sometimes it involves just coffee with friends. Sometimes it involves a podcast like this. And so having those breaks are super, super, super important. And then I have a nighttime routine so I can go to sleep because a lot of people have insomnia or they are in bed on Snapchat or Insta Reels or TikTok for hours on end. Usually when I'm in bed, I go to sleep in under a minute. So I put my head down and I'm out in 60 seconds. And that's usually because I have a nighttime routine, just like I have a morning routine. And my nighttime routine involves switching off all screens and technology, making myself a nice cup of tea, a little biscuit, because you know, you gotta reward yourself, even though it's not good for you, but a little biscuit. Usually a book or a journal. So I either write or I read. I switch off most of my lights so that my mind can go, okay, we're winding down, we're going falling asleep. Sometimes it involves a nice call with a friend, not a client, but just a friend that I can talk to, hear their voice, just chat about life. And if I do that nighttime routine, usually I'm out within like a minute once I'm in bed. So I'd say routines are key to motivation, not success, because success is fleeting. You, <laughs> you feel it for about five minutes, and then it, honestly, it's not exciting anymore. Then it becomes the next success and the next success, and then you're never fulfilled. It's not relationships. I think even relationships come with so many expectations. I don't think it's stuff. It's certainly not stuff. You buy the nice car, it feels good. Then you want an upgrade almost the next week. And so none of those things to me motivate or give fulfillment. I find routines and knowing really what gives you joy, what fuels you, that's what gives you motivation. That's what gives you fulfillment every day. I think these are some amazing routines and I think I will try to incorporate some of them. Lisa, do you want to ask one more question? Yeah, one more. So as a moderator at large scale events, you get to talk to quite influential people, right? You shake hands with yes. Barack Obama. And we would be interested if you ever get intimidated in that situation. No, I don't. I don't get starstruck and I don't get intimidated. And I'll tell you why. It's not because I don't admire them or I don't care about them. It's because I really believe in being present. I think sometimes we get stuck in our minds. We go through these cycles in our heads and that makes us anxious or that makes us starstruck or that makes us feel overwhelmed by situations. I just want to be 100% present. And so when I know I'm about to introduce President Barack Obama, I'm not thinking about his presidency or his policies or his books or I'm just thinking, what does this man need from me right now? And how can I be 100% here to serve that need? It's why I give that same 100% even if I am with a 70-year-old. You know, I have a bunch of adopted grandmothers that I love spending time with. These are just older people that, you know, their spouses have passed away or, or maybe they never got married. And they don't really have any economic value to give me. They're not really going to advance my career in any way. But that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm just thinking, what does this person need from me? And how can I be 100% here to give that to them? Same energy I give when I'm in a classroom. Those kids have nothing to give me. They have no value. But I just think, what can I do to be 100% present? What do they need? But the beautiful part is, even though I say they have nothing to give me, I find that if I'm 100% there, I also gain 100%. Because older people give me so much perspective, so much appreciation. Younger people give me so much inspiration, so much new thinking. 
and even President Barack Obama inspires, not because of where I'm stuck in my head of what I know of him, but just from being present at that moment and seeing our engagement at that moment and how he responds to me and what we talk about. So I'd say the answer is no. I have never asked for a selfie. I have never asked for an autograph. I have never been starstruck. I have never been overwhelmed because the only thing that's going through my mind is how can I be 100% present? How can I fully be in this moment? That's an awesome tip. Okay, so um, we have this one segment and with that we will finish off um, our recording. It's called The Toolbox. So basically we ask these questions every guest and um, kind of just need quick answers on your favorite tools. And the first one is uh, which book would you say everybody should read? The Bible. It's the only book that gives you a lot of promises for who you are and the life that you can live. Okay. And which is an app that everybody should download? <laughs> Google Calendar. It is what I follow uh, significantly. There is no goal that you can accomplish if you don't make time for it. So I would say Google Calendar. Okay, and uh, a podcast that you love listening to? I like listening to This American Life because they come up with a story that I usually have no idea or interest in, and somehow I become fully involved in that story. So I think they're just so great at their storytelling. All right, and you already gave us one routine, your uh, 4G Monday routine. Which is another routine that you follow? Another routine that I follow, I save WhatsApp voice notes for my mornings. So there are certain friends that I love hearing from, and I will see that they will send me a message maybe late at night. I don't listen to it that night. I listen to it in the morning because I think it's so important that we pay attention to what influences us. And so instead of scrolling through news feeds in the morning, instead of going through LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook in the morning, I listen to the voice notes of people I truly love and care about because they fill me with the right perspective and ideas for the day. Okay. And last question is, who is an innovator that everybody should know? An innovator that everyone should know? Oh, that's a tough one. How about yourself. I think everybody in this world, especially in the middle of this pandemic that we are in right now, is forced to being an innovator. So I would say discover your personal innovator and make sure, I don't think the whole world needs to know, but if your kids know, if your friends know, if your family knows who you innovate to be, the best version of yourself to be, that's good enough. You don't have to be world famous. I think famous is overrated. I think as long as you have impact in your circle, that's good. So the innovator that everyone should know is the innovator that lives in you. Dan, these were beautiful last words. Thank you so much for taking the time. I think you really gave us a lot of advice and it was so interesting to also hear where you were coming from with your thoughts and all the motivational videos. I would definitely recommend checking out Dan Ram's Instagram and LinkedIn and uh, website because I also get a lot from your content. So thanks so much, Dan. It was a pleasure. Lisa and Tim, thank you for doing your research. Thank you for asking such intelligent questions and thoughtful questions. I really, really hope that your audience benefits not just from this podcast, but from the work that you guys put into every podcast. Storytelling is so important. 
and I thank you for your time and for this amazing opportunity. And for anyone listening, if I can help you, please get in touch. That's why I'm on social media. I have nothing to sell you. I have nothing to promote, only lots of love to give. And so just follow I am Dan Ram on all social media. And anytime you send a message, you know you'll get one back, usually within a few minutes, maximum within two to three hours, because I am sincere about using my platform to help others. I can confirm <laughs> I made that experience like one or two years ago after bits and pretzels. There we go. All right, Lisa, uh, we've listened to the episode uh, once more. So what is your takeaway this time? <laughs> this time? Um, I think Dan is super wise or he talks very wisely, although he's still pretty young and I like that I feel like he's very authentic so this authenticity over perfection is something that I think is very timely and he really embodies it somehow so I like that on one hand he starts with this high performing environments and then he comes back and also talks very openly about failures so this is something I really liked about our conversation what about you mm. yeah true I think the openness that, that really strikes out. He's super transparent about his successes, but mm -hmm. also about uh, things that didn't go so well. Uh, I think the combination kind of levels it out again, uh, but that's super cool. And also what you mean with authenticity, I think that has a lot to do also with the kind of storytelling that he does, that mm -hmm. he, for every point he wants to make and kind of for his key message, he always has a super relatable or at least personal story that he describes and that really makes it so easy to kind of listen mm. to him and to have a conversation. And mm. yeah, I, I felt the entire session was super, all right, uh, how much time more do we have? Like, yeah, this is, true. like, this could go on forever. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And also when he's talking about these like high level frameworks, but always starts with an example, he's talking about super complex stuff, but you still feel like, You can understand what he's talking about. It's a really great communicator. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So now uh, Ikigai is our new new direction of life that we can choose exactly. to think about. Exactly. Yeah. Never never have to question our decisions again. Yeah. Now we have figured <laughs> it, it all out. If it was that One easy. session with Dan Ram and that's enough. <laughs> and now we know. <laughs> nice. No, just kidding. Because we have uh, a lot more exciting episodes uh, for you coming up. Exactly. Uh, the next one is actually with Veronika Riedele. She is a co-founder at Demodesk. And uh, we also had a very cool session with her. So stay tuned for that. And if you have any feedback or comments or just want to say hi, always feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at cdtm.de and uh, we will promise to reply to it. So, um, yeah, see you soon. Thanks uh, for tuning in. Two in two weeks. See you then. <laughs>